Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Maps Weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Before I introduce my co-host this week, I should note that this is episode 200 of this particular podcast. I just want to thank all of you who have listened with me from the beginning or joined along the way. Uh, I do this for you, and without your support, it wouldn't be the same. So thank you for everything, and uh, hopefully we'll have another 50, 100, who knows how many of these things. Uh, I never would have guessed we'd get to 200, but but here we are. So with that said, I am joined by my co-host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. We follow him on Instagram at Fulmer, H-O-U. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, two historic restaurants are closing soon. Let's start with Spanish Village, the Tex-Mex staple that's kind of on the border of the Museum District and the Third Ward will serve its final meal on July 17th in a Facebook post. Owner Abhi Sriarama cited several reasons for the closure, starting with the deteriorating state of the building. Um, This is a restaurant that's been around for something like 70 years. So, Michael, let me throw it to you. Do you have any memories of Spanish Village? Will you miss it? I have some really good memories and I will miss it. Um, I was su- surprisingly first taken there to try the fried chicken, which you know gave me pause. Um, Cause I like why a Tex-Mex place known for its fried chicken, but sure enough, we went there and you know, the menu, I think it says wait 20 minutes, you know, for fried chicken. And it, of course it took like 40, but well worth the wait. And like it would make, I think any legitimate short list for great fried chicken in Houston, which is, I, in some ways, kind of surprising because it's a Tex-Mex place. The cheese enchiladas are just fantastic. I mean, we all have a great te- or certainly a, a passable Tex-Mex place in our neighborhood. That's the the function of of where we live. But was this like worth traveling to? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I remember going there for the first time. I was uh, relatively new to food writing, and I had a meeting with uh, the two of the women who run ran my table magazine and that was my introduction to it this kind of old school place that i i hadn't really experienced before uh you know for enchiladas for a margarita you know the twinkly christmas lights the you know the very old school atmosphere service style uh it certainly had a lot of charm i i have to admit it's been uh, a few years since my last meal there so you know, I don't, I don't know that I get to complain about this too loudly, but it did have a kind of valuable role in, in a lot of people's lives. And I know they're going to miss it. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was quasi institution, if you will. Uh, I'm sorry to see it go, but, uh, you know, we move on. We do. We move on to our second closing, which is Tony Mandola's. Uh, it will close its location on WA July 26th. Uh, this is a restaurant that goes back to uh, Tony Mandola's Blue Oyster Bar that was uh, opened in 1983. And then, you know, there was a Tony Mandola's on Kirby, uh, kind of near uh, Rice Village for a long time. 
and then 10 years ago they moved to Wa. Michael, let me let me put it to you. I mean, do you have do you have similarly warm feelings for Tony Mandola's that you did for Spanish Village? No, not the same for me. I mean, I I'll be honest with you. I only ate there I think once or twice. You know, I'd stick to the Italian food there. I think the the uh, the, the house-made fettuccine with the the spicy Italian sausage is excellent. I mean, the whole the history of the Mandola, you know, slash Caraba family and that all the combinations therein uh, for this town is, you know, long and storied and and th- their reputation is well deserved. But it was not a regular go go to place for me, to be honest. No. And, and I think that's fair. And, and I've had very limited experiences with it myself over the years, you know, different publicists that represented them over the years. Oh, you got to come in. You know, we've got a a new chef, a new dish to try, a new this, a new that. I, I don't think any of those things sort of change the fundamental nature of the place with that kind of classic uh, Gulf Coast seafood, you know, Italian-American fare. Uh, you know, there's not many places you can get good gumbo and good lasagna, but uh, there it is. That's kind of what made Tony Mandola's <laughs> unique. Yeah. And of course, Phyllis Mandola is the daughter of Mama Ninfa Lorenzo, who founded Ninfas. And so, you know, you, you talk about the Mandola family, but certainly the Lorenzo family has its own claim to fame in the world of Houston restaurants. And so this is the this is the business that united them. Uh, Phyllis Mandola posted about the closing on on her Instagram, said that there will be a new location. I would imagine whatever they do, and and you know, sometimes you just save face, you know, you say, We're gonna open a new location, but but we'll take them at their word that they're working on something. Uh, I would suspect it will be much smaller, right? Somewhere that that kind of old school River Oaks crowd can go and feel attended to, but but that wouldn't have the the expenses of the large building on Wa. Yeah, we'll see. I, I would think a smaller place would work well for them. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. I want to flash back a couple of weeks uh, just because I was on vacation and uh, this sort of broke right before then, but we have good news about Luby's and uh, Michael, I don't, I don't mind sharing with the audience. You are my friend that really likes Luby's. So <laughs> they came, they came to a deal that will keep 30 uh, something locations across the state open, including 10 in the Houston area. Um, how on a, on a scale of like uh, one to 10, how excited are you that there's still going to be square fish and mac and cheese in your life? Uh, it's a big nine for me. Uh, you know, going someplace and getting roast turkey and sides other than, you know, November, uh, the fried fish. It's just a great, I just love the experience of it. I like the, the price point. I like the quality of the food. Uh, walking up and having, you know, these women who seem to have all been working there forever just say, serve you, you know, uh, it was this great dynamic. It was kind of strange when, when Pappas, you know, had a controlling interest and they put waiters in there, which didn't really make sense. Uh, that didn't last too long, not surprisingly. Um, but I, I love the, I love the experience. I love the, the atmosphere of it. Uh, and I like the food. So I'm really happy to see it, uh, survive. Yeah, I you know, there's been a lot of concern about what was going to happen as the company moved through uh, this plan of what they call liquidation and dissolution. So that that they came to a deal that will allow the company to continue to dissolve 
and sell its real estate assets, which is really what its shareholders want. They want to realize that value uh, while still finding a way for the restaurants to continue to operate. Uh, I think that the closest location is uh, right here on Almeida, uh, near the medical center, near the third ward. I think that's going to be kind of the inner loop lubies. But then, you know, there's Stafford and Kingwood and a whole bunch of other suburbs. Of course, the one on Wah is gone. Uh, The one in the gallery is gone. That's going to become a Kenny and Ziggy's. So, uh, you know, we've lost some of the the sort of favorite locations, but I I am glad that Luby's is going to survive. Obviously I, you know, I grew up in Texas. I have memories of going there with my grandparents and uh, for different people over the years. So uh, for, for Luby's fans, I'm happy for them. I I mean, I'd go for fried chicken and chicken fried steak, you know, paired with mashed potatoes loaded down with that uh, delicious white gravy, some sort of vegetable and one of those little spongy dinner rolls. What's not to like? Yeah, what's not to like? I mean, it's almost like when you have that institutional food experience, whether it be like in a school or a hospital, and you know, you get your tray and you go down the line, you're like, God, I wish we just had good food. Well, Luby's is that same kind of dynamic, but it's good food, you know? So I'll be traveling to their open locations when when that is realized. Yes. All right. And and just to clarify for people, they are open. They they are open now and they will remain open. So this is good news for everybody. All right. And then topic number three, Chef Angelo Emiliani of the Angie's Pizza Pop-Up and his sister Luciana are opening Cafe Louis in the East End uh, tied to the Giant Leap Coffee that's opening in the same complex as How to Survive on Land and Sea. So they're going to do an all-day cafe with a whole bunch of Mediterranean influences. It's really inspired by Angelo's time in Los Angeles, going to places like Squirrel that had, you know, eclectic kind of vegetable driven seasonal menus. Um, Michael, let me just throw it to you. What do you think? I mean, this is uh, maybe not the, the restaurant we wanted from Angelo, but it is the restaurant we're getting, at least for now. I've never been to Squirrel in LA. I, I know of it. Um, it seems like Houston's been waiting like 40 years for this sort of East End uh, blossom, you know, of, 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 of food culture, you know, of uh, real estate values being friendly for, you know, living as well as for these businesses. And it really seems to be finally happening. And so this seems like it would be a perfect little niche for that, for that area and for that dynamic, uh, you know, as, as, as it slowly, you know, sort of grows, you know, uh, so I'm excited by it. Uh, what's all happened along navigation, what's happening in that whole area, uh, the bar and restaurant culture just north of downtown um, is really interesting. And I think the next couple of years, we're going to start seeing even more, you know, interesting places open because, I mean, as much as has happened in Montrose and now, of course, the Heights, it's like, I wouldn't say they're maxed out, but real estate values are really high, you know, and if you're going from say a pop-up to a brick and mortar, or you're just, you're making your first restaurant, um, those areas might be off limits to you unless you have a deep pocket investor. So um, I, I, I'm excited by it. Right. Exactly. The, the, this kind of quirky uh, sort of personal concept, you know, that years ago it would have been in Montrose and, 
you know, years years after that, it would have been the Heights. But but like you said, the the cost of operating there has gotten so high, you really need something that's sort of established and proven. And so now it's coming to the East End, and it can join, you know, Nancy Sussel and Tiny Champions, uh, and even sort of more recently, uh, you know, now Roostar is on Navigation Boulevard, uh, a new project from the Cantina Barba folks. Fitzcarraldo just opened uh, yeah. Navigation. Night Shift is open. So there's a lot happening. Um, and uh, add, add Cafe Louis to the list. And, and having spoken to Angelo about it pretty extensively, I'm excited about it. And uh, I will probably have him on the show at some point to talk about it. Yeah, I'm curious to see whether or not they go you know, like a brick and mortar for their pizza because it's certainly got a cult following and they certainly know what they're doing. Well, and, uh, yeah, long-term, right. A year ish from now, the plan is to open a pizzeria, but it's uh, a ways away. Unfortunately, at least I, I say that as, as a fan of the pizza, but you know, I'm excited for Angelo cause he's, he's really excited about getting this new restaurant open. So good for him, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Michael, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Fiji's Barbecue. They just opened their new above ground location in Spring Branch. This comes with a number of advantages from their original location in Greenway Plaza, including uh, dinner service, uh, a liquor license. They're now able to serve beer and wine um, and and a much more expanded menu of uh, barbecue sides, uh, not barbecue. They're doing fried chicken. They're doing hamburgers. They're doing sandwiches. They're doing more salads. And, And so I say all that to you to say this. At what point does a restaurant cross over from being a quote unquote barbecue joint to being a restaurant that happens to also serve barbecue? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I look at uh, what Landry's did with their new place in the Galleria with the King Ranch and they had that barbecue. is a restaurant that serves barbecue or at least absolutely. And that's did. my point is that's, they have a smoker in there, but they have this expansive menu and barbecue is a, a small part and parcel of that. Whereas Fiji's, you know, barbecue, this is barbecue that's just branching out to some more things. So uh, I think we're on the other side, still a barbecue place, but uh, that's their main strength. Um, but a semantics aside, um, they have the skill and acumen to, to branch it out. I mean, Erin certainly has the pedigree, you know, from her time in Manhattan uh, and also other places here in Houston. Uh, they've proven themselves really strong uh, in the Greenway location. And then having survived, you know, the last year of the pandemic in uh, with farmers markets and other pop ups that they've done. Um, you know, Patrick was like kind of like he was like the guy who was doing whole hog in Houston. Uh, we're seeing more places do that. Um, and it also, you know, and so that gives him that kind of unique quality as well as it'll be interesting to see what they do as for daily specials or weekly specials or maybe even monthly specials. Well, they'll figure it out as what the market bears. You know, I'll certainly travel to it. 
Um, you know, they, they have a great reputation for what they do with their sides. And, you know, Erin's time at Camerata and learning about wine. I know she's been just sort of almost chomping at the bit to bring that to bear. And this gives them that opportunity. Uh, and this is a really it's a big spot. You know, uh, the, the or rather the footprint is enough. Like you could bring a family in there uh, comfortably. Um, so I'm really excited. This is something that's been on the books with for them for a while. And I'm glad they made it, you know, and we need to get out there and support them. Yeah, I I mean, so just to be sort of specific, you know, they have all of the barbecue that they did at Greenway Plaza, and they've added a, a whole bunch of other options, including a fried chicken sandwich, uh, brisket and pimento grilled cheese, uh, a Southwest chicken sandwich, I know they're doing a burger, uh, they're doing a smoked meatloaf, they're doing fried chicken, uh, they've got a, a whole bunch of new sides, and they've got you know, a tidy little wine list. Aaron was on the show a few weeks ago. She talked about putting that together. I know, I know Patrick had some fun putting the beers together. Um, so let me just put it to you. What have you tried? Uh, and what do you sort of recommend for people who, you know, maybe they couldn't get to Greenway Plaza and maybe now is their chance to experience Fiji's barbecue for the first time? Well, I, I'm always a big fan of like, you know, go to the heart of what, the barbecue is there, you know, do the, the Texas Trinity, you know, kind of loosely understood to be brisket, you know, ribs and sausage. Um, you know, they do, they do that well. Uh, but their pork based dishes, really their whole hog, their pulled pork uh, are really, really just great. There's sandwiches that they, tr- that they do. And then the sides, you know, it's, to me, it's always, I think it's a case of somebody does something well enough across the board, which I think they do. I think the best advice you can give is, you know, trust your instincts, go with your gut and, you know, let that dictate or be your barometer. And I think that'll serve people well. Uh, I think it's interesting as we see new barbecue places opening, how they uh, are changing a little bit. You see these dedicated spaces for merchandise, you know, what we saw at Truth. Now I see that Fijis, I mean, right up front there, they, you know, merchandising is, is an important, can be an important part of the bottom line. And so by, you know, like, hey, you're seeing in line, get yourself a shirt, get yourself a hat. Uh, you know, we all have no shortages of those at home, and yet we continue to buy them. And I think that's a really smart move on their part. Uh, no, and- no, absolutely. And, of course, the other, the other smart move on their part is there's a children's play area. Uh, obviously, you know, their, their son, Wyatt, is a big yeah. part of their social media. Known for Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, they're in Spring Branch, and that's a – Obviously, uh, you know, a lot of young families in that part of the city. And so having a, having a place where families can come and eat, you know, relatively affordably and that the children can run around and not worry about breaking things. I mean, that's all to the good. Yeah. And then having the big screens up there, uh, which they can occasionally show, you know, sporting events too. Um, you know, essentially the whole wall can be, but with maybe the sound off so it doesn't become like this we are a sports bar. It's like, Oh, you can watch a game here without it being intrusive to other people. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's a great dynamic too. No, absolutely. Um, any other thoughts on Fiji's barbecue? No, just, uh, like I said, uh, keep your eye open for, uh, they'll figure out what they're going to be doing as far as specials. I think like going to the heart of what they do, uh, the barbecue is a great pick, but you know, um, they both are wonderfully creative people. 
And uh, I'm excited to see what they do on a weekly or monthly basis as a special. Uh, so I'd say, I'd say to people out there, keep your eye on that. All right. Very good. Michael, thank you very much. Absolutely. And I'll be right back with Don Burrell. I'm joined this week by Don Burrell, Top Chef Season 18 finalist and the chef partner of the upcoming restaurant late August. Don, I believe this is your third appearance on the show, so welcome back. Hello. Um, it's good to be back, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. I, I want to talk I want to talk Top Chef and I want to talk late August, but let's start with the show. Can we just kind of start at the beginning? I mean, what kind of made you want to do it? Did you do any preparation? Like, like how did you get ready to go on the show? You know, I just, well, maybe you want to do it, Eric, is the fact that I'm, I think I'm innately a competitor and the, that's the way I measure my, my level of, um, of, expertise or excellence in a field you know I was a track and field athlete athlete first and foremost so I needed I need to be able to have some way to measure how I'm doing and um and so the best way for me the best idea for me is just to be involved in some sort of competition and uh, I didn't really prepare for for this I just kind of I just kind of cooked to prepare, I guess, because there's no real way to prepare for the show. I mean, were you a fan of the show? Did you watch the show? Were you kind of familiar with like the beats of the way that they sometimes do the challenges and stuff like that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm a fan of the show. Um, I watched uh, the fir- first eight seasons, I believe, religiously. And then um, I started to work more more um, hours in kitchens. And so my TV time just kind of uh, went down drastically. And, uh, and so I skipped about another seven, eight seasons. And I picked back up on season 16. And I actually, um, I watched that. Come to think of it, I did watch that um, in, in preparation. And I was very, I'm very familiar with how they, how they come up with challenges and things like that. So, so then what was your experience like on the show, you know, kind of having that perspective as a fan, so maybe kind of seeing some of the twists, but not seeing them because you're in the middle of it. I mean, mm-hmm. how, uh, I mean, obviously you made it to the final, so it went really well, but, but, but how did you kind of feel as you were going through it? Um, I mean, I stayed, I stayed nervous. <laughs> I stayed, but stayed ready for anything. Cause you honestly never know what, what they're going to bring, um, to you and, uh, for the challenge. And, um, I never took any challenge for granted because I knew that there could be a twist right around the corner. And so it's a combination of staying uh, ex- extremely uh, nervous, which makes me alert, which also makes me ready. I think that's how I I um I positioned myself to to embrace any challenge that they gave me. Do you think you were portrayed well on the show? Uh yeah, I do. Um I think that I mean, I don't there's only so much the power of, of editing can do, you know, and I think that you know, some of the things that had that that were portrayed actually happened. Um, I don't think they were cut um, 
edited falsely in any way. There was truth to everything that, that was there. And um, and I was happy with, you know, with with how they portrayed me, both my my good moments and my bad moments. I think that I think that they were all accurate, but it just um lends itself to being human, right? Like we are all imperfect beings and um and pretty much shit happens and we just have to roll with the punches. <laughs> I mean, you, know? you you got some kind of initial momentum from that Pan-African challenge, I think, because it really plays to your culinary strengths and experiences. You know, the a lot of these chefs, I think, were discovering these ingredients and dishes for the first time. But of course, you you know them well. Uh, right. Um, but overall, I was just happy for the challenge um, to to introduce uh, all of the chefs that have been, been working for many years to these flavor f- profiles. And they all embraced it and loved it very much. Um, I definitely uh, did hit my stride then. It gave me a boost of confidence because I was a little bit uh, rusty in the beginning, actually. I I had to to you know knock the kinks off myself to 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 give one hundred percent in these challenges because I had not been cooking on the line or in a restaurant for almost a year um, when I filmed this show and so um, but once I I was able to to perform well and the, both the the beer and coffee uh, and the Pan African African challenge it gave me uh, a little bit of boost. It, a little bit of a boost to keep going. Did you have, uh, I mean, maybe other than the challenges you won, I mean, did you have a, a favorite challenge from sort of your time on the show? I really enjoyed uh, World Central Kitchen challenge, uh, challenge. It's right up my alley. It's what I do. Um, it's why I work with Lucio's Hospitality Group uh, and uh, because of the philanthropic component that's attached to, to what we do. And um, so it hit right right at home. And um, and also enjoyed the recipe challenge very much because it's um, a lot of what I was doing for Pivot already uh, before I left. No, and I, I will say, I personally as a viewer, I really enjoyed watching you run through that fruit orchard. I, yeah. I thought that was like a was good, good combo. Too. That was a good combo of, you know, kind of the creativity and the spontaneity and, and having to think on your feet, all, all the things that mm-hmm. make Top Chef so much fun to watch. Exactly. Coupled with the, um, the fact that we could only choose one aromatic to use um, to, to flavor our food. I think that that was, that was all really um, a great surprise. <laughs> and um, and uh, I enjoyed running through that, uh, that orchard as well. And I love the kitchen that they had set up for us. I mean, the, the headline in the Chronicle after the, the final was that your journey came to a disappointing end. Are you disappointed by how it ended? Oh, no. And I didn't know that that was the headline. <laughs> but um, I am not disappointed at all. Um, there are. There were. I had some disappointing moments, um, but overall, I'm really happy with um, my performance that you know, that I'm, I'm really happy about my performance in the, in the finale, um, outside of my mistake I made in the first course. Um, I think that, you know, we, we picked ourselves up and dusted ourselves off really well to finish strong. I think we did that. And, um, I always knew in the beginning, uh, um, in the beginning, even from the very first episode that my worst enemy was myself and all I needed to do, 
uh, my competition was myself also. So I, all I needed to do was defeat my own demons in order to, to, to be in, on top. And, you know, um, they kind of lingered with me the whole way here and there. But I still may, I still remained in the, uh, I still remain uh, to be in the, now I, I'm happy with that. No, I, and I was going to say, I don't think you should feel disappointed. I think my, my sort of feeling at the very beginning of all this was that if you made it to restaurant wars, that that's a pretty good outcome for anyone. That right. That's the, the signature challenge on the show. And if you can make it that far, then you probably have done some good for your career. So to get to the point where you, you never actually get told to pack your knives, right? You, you never heard that phrase. No, I've never I, heard I, it's it. It's a huge victory. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard it, uh, heard that phrase. I was only on the bottom threatened to be, um, to go home just one time, um, which was the tofu challenge outside of when there were only four of us left. So three people had to be on the bottom, you know, um, even then I felt pretty safe. And I, 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 I think that it's, it's a, it's a good accomplishment. It's great for, um, it's great for my career. And I think I, I, I performed really well. Um, I, did I make some mistakes? Absolutely. You know, but all in all, I think my food spoke for itself. So I, I don't know if you want to kind of comment on the situation surrounding Gabe and, and mm-hmm. how all that, how all that went down. Um, the show hasn't really said anything about how they're going to treat him. Eater, Eater Houston wrote that they think you should be crowned top chef. Uh, <laughs> do, do you think you should be top chef? I mean, do you, do you have an opinion about what the show should do with, with Gabe and no. light of the revelations about no. his behavior? Um, not at all. If it's about, I mean, if it's about performance, he won. He beat Sheldon on fair and square. And I don't, I, I really don't have anything to say about the, you know, the, you know, the negativity um, surrounding, um, you know, his whatever, his, you know, his life. Um, I can, I can only say that, you know, when we were together, um, and we were competing side by side, um, he won. And, um, and, and that's really all I can say about that. All right. Well, let me, let me move on because your social media following has absolutely exploded uh, <laughs> on the show. Uh-huh. You went from what, like two or 3000 Instagram followers to, to 20,000. Yeah. That, I mean, it's a direct result of being in front of an, um, you know, nationwide audience weekly. I think that's what it is. And I appreciate it. Um, it's very exciting. Yeah. Do you have, do you have any ideas about how to utilize or, or maybe reach out to this, this audience now that it's, it wants to connect with you? Uh Well, I mean, I do my best to to keep my content up up and I communicate, I respond to messages. Uh, I, um, I show appreciation um, in that way. And, um, and my content in the future will involve more, more of, demonstration videos and um and just a lot more about me because I think that it's important to to let people know that you're a real person and you and you do real things and have real hobbies so that's that's pretty much it (laughs) uh you've also gotten to travel quite a bit recently you've gone to different events with other Mm -hmm. um 
Top Chef cast members. I mean, how's that? How's that been? How's that been going? It's, it's been really fun. Uh, actually, I, I, the last two events I had, they came here. Um, I had a, a Juneteenth dinner um, with Kiki, Nelson, and Chris from this season. And um, that was really awesome. Um, it was a sold out event uh, and, and all of the, the proceeds went to Lucio's 1913. And, um, and they, they had an incredible time. Um, it was a beautiful event. And I was really proud of what we did there. And, um, and the last time we had, I had a pop-up, it was um, with Gabe and Sasha and I was here in town at the night market. Yes, I I attended that. That was a blast. I mean, yeah, just it was fun. A really good. I mean, a, a hot, sweaty night, but a, a really good, a really good time with a lot of good food and in, in, uh, including Gabe's tacos. I mean, you know, no yeah. nothing to nothing negative to say about that. <laughs> no, not at all. But yeah, that was a fun event. Um, filled with great music and great people. Um, it was a, it was a it was a really good time. Oh, and I also did that. Uh, pop up with uh, Sasha as well um, that baking uh, it was like a bake sale oh, that's um, at right. Tenfold yeah and, and that's all I've done um, I'm, we have scheduled uh, a couple of events I'm doing the uh, family reunion uh, with Kwame and Wachia um, um, and Food and Wine um, in uh, Middleburg, Virginia in the, in the end of August and I think uh, Shoda and I are going to do something in the beginning of September yeah, uh, I I really enjoyed. It. I thought Shoda Shoda acquitted himself very well on the show. I thought he was. It's funny because uh, I listen to this podcast called The Watch, and it's hosted by two guys from Philly, and they're top yeah. chef obsessives. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were sort of predicting Shoda was going to win the whole time, but they were rooting for you because you are also from Philadelphia. That's right. That is correct. I, I hope to talk to those guys pretty soon, actually. Um, yeah, they, um, I'm grateful. They supported me the whole time. Um, and I think that uh, the, those that, that were my fans, they were my fans, regardless of whether I made a mistake or not. Um, you know, they <laughs> they were there. They're there. And I appreciate them. But like, no, Shoda is clearly it was clearly the fan favorite. People love him. He's so adorable. But um yeah, you did a great job. I think we all um, cooked our hearts out in the end. We left everything there that we had. All right. So let me um, let me ask you about late August because I, I'm I'm excited for you to have a new platform uh-huh. because I I enjoyed your work at Culture. Thank you. But I don't quite understand what Afro Asian cuisine is. Uh-huh. So, so how much can you say about kind of what your plans are for that restaurant? I, well, I can say, um, well, the menu is still in development, but what, what I'd like to say is that um, this is going to be food um, from the Af- African diaspora um, with, uh, with Asian uh, techniques sometimes, but, um, or flavor profiles, but we will also discover those, um, those cross sections of, uh, where you know where the cuisines are similar, like the usage of rice, um, the usage of of uh, specific vegetables, and the um, and the uses of um, um, very similar sauces and, and fermentation processes, and um, and um, we're going to um, um, develop a you know a new style, which is the Afro Asian cuisine. 
and it's a um a lot of cultures um like um uh Guyana for example they have all of those um those flavor profiles in their cuisines um because of migration and um and so those are those are the things that I'm going to highlight for this restaurant yeah and uh, and I I shouldn't skip over this because I I remember you and Chris Williams did the show uh, for the food apartheid dinner series. And you guys had really just started to get to know each other. That's right. And now you're business partners. So, so maybe talk about the evolution of that relationship and why Chris became the right partner for you to work with on uh, the first restaurant where you have an ownership stake. Oh man. Um Chris is a hoot. Yeah, that was, I had only met him maybe like three weeks prior to that interview. And, um, and we worked well together. He thought I was completely ridiculous. Like the way that my, my food approach um, is, is too, like, kind of too thorough, too, too scratch made, you know, whatever, you know, he's like, he just, he didn't want anything to do with my, with my cooking technique. But we, uh, um, over time, we developed a, you know, a relationship based on our, our passion for, you know, for, for philanthropy and also, um, you know, for meeting the needs of others. And he showed me um, the person he is by, by actually um, helping me get to Hop Chef in the first place. And the re- how he did that was that he, um, my mother recently had a stroke right before I left. And he, um, and he visited me right after her stroke and, you know, and just kind of sat there with me when I was like in a day trying to figure out how I was going to live life, you know, having to care for my mother. And then, um, and then after that, you know, the pandemic hit, the restaurant um, uh, closed and I started Pivot and then I started my interview process with, with Top Chef. But when I finally got my call that I, um, that I've been cast, um, I was like, oh shoot, well, um, how am I going to take care of my mother? My brother was leaving. Um, my brother, my oldest brother came down to take care of her for a while, but he had to go back home. And then that, and so the job transferred to me. And I told, I was just sitting there telling Chris about it one night. And, um, he was like, well, he was like, well, I can do that. Like I can pay for that. Um, the foundation can pay, um, or the, or I will figure it out, you know? And so basically he covered that for, um, my mother's care while I was gone. And, um, and that took a load off of me. And then um, when, when I returned, he was like, you know what, I had a brilliant idea when I, when you were gone, I think you should open late August. And I was like, no way, <laughs> you know? And then I was like, it's like, I, didn't, like, I want you to be the chef of late August. I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I just got back. And, you know, he was like, this is why you're going to do it. Cause you know that um, I know that um, you, you love to help people. Like I love to help people. And, um, and every, every, every concept that we have under the Lucille's hospitality group will have a film attached to it. And, um, and then you will also have ownership stake. You also have, you know, so he just kept listing, listing um, um, opportunities that I had. And, and, um, you know, he's, um, you know, selling is what he does. And, and, um, and he convinced me to, to be his partner. And um, it's been nothing but great since then. So, um, and uh, to have ownership straight stake in my first project and, and, and creative freedom is, is really, is really what I need right now in my career. So I'm really excited. 
Yeah, and it's, I think the Ion is going to be an exciting place to be. I mean, you got Mm -hmm. maybe like a little tiny sense of it just with that finale watch party. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple hundred people show up to to watch it on the big screen with you. Uh, But when that thing is full of people, and, and I guess I should... I should say for the sake of the audience, the ION is the uh, innovation district that Rice University is opening in the old Sears in Midtown. Um, and and the build-out is essentially done. So it's it's going to start filling up with creators and scientists and right. whoever's, whoever's going to be occupying that building pretty soon. And you're going to be right in the middle of all of it. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna, I think it's going to be great. Um... Uh, we'll be right in, in the middle of it um, with lunch, with potential lunch uh, audience built in. Um, and like we like to say that we have to earn our dinner service, which is fine. I, that's my model. I enjoy that um, immensely. Um, and, there, um, and there are a couple other projects that are, that are uh, restaurant projects that are there as well. But overall, I think that um, I think that the ION is going to be like, um, a definite like like kind of hip and cool place not only to work but to come and eat that's that's what i'm thinking yeah i i mean i think so too i think david uh, cordua's uh limbar concept is going to be a lot of fun and i think you'll have a like not a competitive relationship but more of a like a symbiotic uh you know people will have dinner at late august and drinks at limbar or mm-hmm. and forth, vice versa like whatever versa. Yeah. 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 I think it's going to, I think it's going to be cool. And like, he's all also, um, he was talked to me early on about um, possibly doing some um, joint promotion uh, for both of us. And I, I think that that would be a great strategy um, to maybe do some dinners together and talk, um, in preparation for opening. What, uh, I mean, I, I know this is always a moving target, but roughly when do you think we'll be eating at late August? It is oftentimes a moving target. Um, we are looking at um, late, late in the year, either late fall, early, early uh, winter is what we're looking at. Very cool. I, I'm excited. So, is there anything? Is there anything you want to discuss that I haven't asked you about? Um. No, I, I think that. Um, no, I think that you've covered it. Uh, uh, again, like I work at 1913. I'm interviewing right now at a fermentation lab for 1913. Uh, we have a, we just, uh, our target is to become a, a zero waste entity. And we're, we, um, so I established this fermentation lab with, a, with an expert to help, help, help me produce these things on large scale. And um, we, we also have 50 acres of farmland. So our goal is to, to ferment what we don't use, to give it back to the, to implant them back into the community as nutritional products, and um, or to dry it and pulverize it to make sure that we're not wasting anything. And the scrap that we cannot use will go back to the earth. Um, and I think that uh, this model is going to be something that the city hasn't seen yet. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I. What are you fermenting? I mean, you're not you're not making kombucha or, or what? Or, so oh, no. what are you? We're fermenting vegetables that the communities that we serve, will, um, we anticipate that they'll like, like cucumbers, okra, carrots, um, 
Um, we're making a Southern style cha cha, and um, basically we're fermenting things that um, whatever we grow, we're going to um, utilize it in some way and in, in a pickled form or fermented form. Um, and uh, I'm also looking to make my own um, misos and things like that for late August um, and my own powdered uh, seasonings. Um, so it's going to be really exciting to see um, um, what. Well, it's going to be exciting. Uh, the menu is going to be really great um, uh, because of the steps that we're taking to make sure that the product is um, kind of unique in a sense. And and I guess we should just say Lucille's 1913 is the nonprofit Chris Williams started last year to feed underserved communities here in Houston. That is exactly it. Yes. I'm sorry. I thought I said that. But yeah. Um, yes. Um, and prevent um, when the pandemic hit, he had the idea to 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 um, to start this project, um, not only um, to to feed communities, but um, to also uh, he broadened the the concept um, to inject jobs into communities like uh, where we're going to have the far, our farmland, um, so that they can um, uh, they can get back to uh, farming in Kendleton, for example. Um, Kendleton used to be a farming community and, um, and they've lost their trade. So we're going to inject jobs and um, educational systems to, um, to the community so that we can uh, put, put at least about 50 people to work here in the city. So I'm really excited about that. That all sounds great. Congratulations. It's very exciting. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, we're, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm also looking forward to, um, there'll be about two to three acres of that land. Um, De designated to uh, late August um, to grow some special specialty ingredients for us. So um, it's all good. Sounds all great. Things. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's uh, a good place to wrap this up. Why don't you give us the social media and, and all the ways people should uh, follow along to keep track of what you're up to? Uh, yes, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Chef Don Burrell. And um, and find out what we're doing as a whole um, as a restaurant group at Lucille's Hospitality Group and Lucille's 1913 at Lucille's Restaurant. Is there a late August uh, IG yet? Yes, um, the late August uh, IG is late August HTX. There you go. Don Burrell, thanks again. Thank you, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week for episode 201.